Okay, now we'll just do that. There you go. And I, I'll come back right after the end of mine and turn it off. Thank you. Good morning, are you? These are fine. Good. Oh yeah, yeah. That that surgery was years ago, and they haven't I mean, failed me. The knee that was bothering you. The knee that was bothering you a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it's not a knee. Oh, okay. It's the, I mean, the, the plantar muscle. Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh boy, it's painful. Is it still? Yeah. Um, so what they say you do? I went to Dr. Ealing and. He diagnosed what it was. My doctor didn't tell me what it was. And when he grabbed a hold of it, <clears throat> he had my undivided attention. I, I levitated around the room. Oh, yeah. I can sing that song. Good morning, sir. Good morning. We're going to sit in the heckle seat. In the heckle seat? In the heckle, the heckle row. Just so you feel comfortable. Yeah, this used to be sanctuary. This isn't the original sanctuary. The Good morning.
Can you play that song? Super. Good morning to you. You all set for this today? I uh, hope so. Um, how was the trip? It was good. Yeah, it, we, learned a, we learned a lesson about answered prayer. You know, we, it was supposed to be so hot out there. And it's, in fact, there's so many people there, Carolyn and I slept in a tent. <laughs> it was 95 degrees. And, mm. uh, but it, uh, and Carolyn, we just prayed that the temperatures would be. But we had we had breezes the whole time we were there. At night it dropped like to sixty four, and she said the temperatures didn't warm up or didn't cool down during the day. But it but the heat but the breeze and the heat and uh, I kept the mosquitoes and the flies away. <laughs> thanks, Lord. So God still ends your work there. We still said thanks, Lord. It's for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so it was good. We had a good trip. It was nice to see everybody. We had a chance to be with Aaron and Janelle for a little bit. Because you know, they were there. So Janelle shared, uh, shared the, the family devotion and did a wonderful job with that. Yeah, and I wonder what their reaction is and their knowledge about this earthquake in Morocco. Everybody that they know is well. Um, it's away from the city they were in. It's mm -hmm. in Marrakesh instead, you know, in that area and in the mountains there. He said uh, they've been praying for years that God would provide an opening to get Christians into the mountains and for people to be open to the mountains. <laughs> 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 that seems to be answering that prayer. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He said the Christians are flocking in there with blankets, you know, mm. and food and tarps and different things and getting the opportunity. So. You betcha. Wow. Well, I hate to interrupt all of this good fellowship, but we're going to have to do it. Take a look at the papers that you received this morning, if you will. We'll pray together in just a moment after we read our scripture for this morning. The opening page is not intended for you to turn in to either Pastor Denny or to me. Not necessary. Um, you received pages the first Sunday that we studied Colossians together, studied the background of Colossians, 
And along with that, there was a page that had 10 questions on it. If you want to turn that in for credit, and, and if you're taking the class for credit, that's a wonderful thing to do, and I would encourage you to do it. This is intended to be between you and the Lord. It's intended to make you think about the contents of our chunk of first, uh, the first chapter of Colossians in more detail. And so it asks you to think about your prayer life as compared to what you read as a prayer here in, in Colossians. And it asks you other things about uh, God making us worthy and imputing to us, uh, which I'll explain to you in a moment some of the great things. Sounds like Romans, and it, and it is in many ways. So enjoy that if you can, and don't let it bother you if you decide not to do it. Um, you're still welcome in the class, won't be checked off. No, none of the elders will slash your titers or anything of this sort. You'll be, you'll be really safe with all of that. This morning, we're going to examine three prayers. One by Paul here in Colossians chapter 1. One by Jesus in John chapter 17. And one by David in 2 Samuel 7. We had mentioned when we first began our study, and I'm sorry for the lapses for other things that are necessary with our church, um, but we had said that we would try to study Colossians thematically. And I'll explain more to that as we get into it uh, this morning. But we wanted to not only explain the chunk of Colossians that we were looking at for the day, but to look at other scriptures in the New Testament that bore on that subject, and then to look at something in the Old Testament that had to do with that subject. And that's what we're going to do this morning. This piece of Colossians chapter 1 that we're going to look at in just a moment uh, indicates on your notes from the first Sunday together that it's having to do with walking worthy, and it does. But it's framed in the context of a prayer. This is not the only time in the book of Colossians that we're going to meet up with a prayer. There'll be another one in chapter 4 that we will consider when we, when we get to it. I want you to be a little bit curious about what Paul prays for just as I want you when we get to John 17 to think about what Jesus prayed for. Do you realize that on the night before he died, he prayed for you? That's in that prayer. We'll show you when we get there. And I want you to think carefully from 2 Samuel 7 about the things that David prayed for, one of my favorite prayers in the whole Bible. I'm not saying that there is any little detail of life that you can't pray about and take to the Lord. In a good marriage, what happens to one happens to both. We don't say, you have a problem. We say, we have a problem. If we are living the way we should and loving the way we should, we share everything in life together. The good things and the bad things, the hard things, the easy things. And what affects one affects the other. That's really the way it ought to be. And in a love relationship that we have with our Savior, 
what affects us affects him, and he's interested in everything that affects us. In fact, he indicates in the scriptures, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. There isn't any detail of life that isn't worthy of being brought to the Lord in prayer. Please know that. On the other hand, when you read some of these prayers in the Bible, they aren't concerned with Aunt Minnie's toenail. They're concerned with the great issues of life and death. They're greatly concerned with eternity. They're greatly concerned with the salvation of masses of people, all for whom Christ died. So they're about big things, huge things, things that stagger us in a lot of ways. If your Bible is open to Colossians chapter 1, by the way, how are you doing at reading Colossians? I don't want to show a hands, but read Colossians. Please read Colossians. And if you think of it or can do it, read Colossians in a different translation, not what you ordinarily read. It will just jiggle your mind a little bit to hear things said in a different way. Be good for you. Where this morning we're going to begin by considering verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1. Follow along, please. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. That's where those words came from. That's the phrase that was part of Paul's prayer, that you people would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Many of you will hold a translation in your hands that says has transferred us or translated us, moved us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me, please. Father, give us understanding of this sweet piece of your word. It is revealing about Paul and his heart for you. It's also revealing about the things that you have done for us. So many things that were accomplished when we came to believe on Christ as our Savior, many of them things that we haven't paused to think about, many of them things that we haven't seen. So increase our understanding of you and encourage us to walk worthy and to pray big prayers, to not be afraid to ask things. Nothing is too hard for you. Open our minds to all of this, I pray, through the name of Jesus. Amen. In breaking this prayer down for our study, I 
I discovered that there were five requests made here. Paul makes five requests, and they are all worthy of your attention and understanding. His first request in verse 9 is that we be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's practical stuff. This is not theoretical stuff. It's practical stuff. Now, maybe his will for you right now is to wash the dishes or change a tire or go to Ecuador on a mission trip or to help for a few hours in our workday or to serve in Awana as one of the leaders and helpers. I don't know what God's will is for you, but he does have a will and he will show you day by day what to do to please him. Being yielded to our Lord makes even mundane tasks worthwhile. It makes them in a different light. It causes us to think about them differently. This may not be stuff that is worthy of being shown on television or mentioned to other people or written into your diary, but your day is filled with things where Christ is present and wants to use you. In loving your children, loving your husband or wife, in, in being an example of faith to others, you are doing what God wants you to do. Our prayer list indicated that you might think about sending a card to uh, Dave Calhoun because he's headed for Mayo Clinic. In fact, a week from tomorrow is his appointment. And we wanted to encourage him in it. Hope you can do that. Uh, would it be God's will for you to send a card and encourage him? I think so. I couldn't find a card that said what I wanted to say, so I bought a thank you card. And I thanked him for his example, because for more than six months, he couldn't come to church but he was praying every day over our prayer list and over our, our people and over the things that were going on at our church. I thanked him for the example he was setting. He was in extreme pain for months and yet was faithful and looked out. I called on him one day and two of his grandsons were there. And he was setting an example of how a Christian man accepts what's coming in his life, what's going on, health situations that you just don't have all the answers to, and doing it well. I thought he was showing his, his folks the right thing. I, I prayed for Denny and Cindy Hines, um, for him watching her die. She is now bedridden, and her body is beginning to shut down. And I prayed that, that Denny would be adequate to see all of this and provide encouragement for her. They say that the sense of hearing is the last of the ones to go. I think that's true. I'm not sure how they prove that, but I think that that's true. And if so, Though she may seem to be unconscious, I want her to hear him say to her, I love you, and for him to pray for her, with her, and for him to read the scriptures 
to her, even though she can't respond. What's God's will today? To watch your wife gradually fade and die? I don't know. I know that that's true for Denny Hines. God is receiving a prayer here from Paul so that he would understand God's will at every moment. What is it that I am to do right now? In fact, he says, I would want you to have that knowledge in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you are looking at the circumstances of life with a spiritual understanding. What does God want me to do in this situation? Since all wisdom is found in Christ, and Colossians is going to assert that, and all of the wisdom of God that we have available to us in written form is in his word, then thinking about what Jesus would do in this situation is going to be on the right track. Request number two in this prayer is in verse 10. And that it is that we would be pleasing to God in everything. And here's the idea of walking worthy that was in your schemata for this class. Think about it. We are not of ourselves worthy of God's love. We are not worthy to be given salvation as a free gift. We are not worthy to be a recipient of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God, in us. We are not worthy of the gift of eternal life. We are not worthy of a home forever in heaven with our Lord. We aren't worthy of these things. But if your eyes will come down to verse 12, you will find that the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. What makes us worthy of these things? The love of God the Father. God makes us worthy. He considers us worthy of this. Us sinners are made worthy. Now when you read the book of Romans, you find the strange idea of something of God being imputed to us. In other words, it is laid to our account that God in his love for us has imputed the righteousness of Christ. To us unrighteous people, he has attributed Christ's righteousness. He has declared us worthy. My folks would often say, and it would burst your bubble, when you're headed out the door on a date or when you're headed out with a bunch of guys to go to a football game or whatever, you say, remember who you belong to. Ouch. <laughs> remember who you belong to. In other words, you're representing somebody else. That's true. I belong to Jesus, and I'm representing him. I might be all of Jesus that some people see. So I need to represent him accurately. God says, walk. Walk remembering who you belong to. In fact, that word is here. In verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Our walk in the scriptures is not just our perambulating, 
our, our steps, our, the movement of our feet. It's our daily life, our pattern. Walk encompasses all of those ideas. Request number three is in verse 10, that you be fruitful in every good work. The believer is supposed to be a fruitful branch. Remember Jesus' parable in, in John 15? I'm the vine, you're the branches. I want you to bring forth fruit. Request number four is in verse four, or in, where, where is it? I didn't mark that in my notes. That you would be increasing in the knowledge of God. At the end of verse 10, <clears throat> do you know that Peter ends his epistles with the same idea? 2 Peter 3.18 is uh, a declaration that you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Think about it this way. These are long-term, lifetime activities. Do I know the Lord better than I knew him a year ago? Do you know his word better now than you did a year ago? The Christian life is cumulative. It, it can't be encompassed in one sermon. You don't know it in its totality just by reading one book of the Bible. It's cumulative. We want to walk worthy. We want to increase in the knowledge of God. And the fifth request is in verse 11. It has to do with strength. Actual words are strengthened with might according to his power. And it's supposed to produce patience and long-suffering. And all of that, according to verse 12, is to produce thankfulness. We ought to be thankful people. I've said several times every day of my life, thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord, for things. Just talked to Denny, and they'd been on a trip, and, and God took care of some of their enjoyment of the time and the temperatures that were very, very, very high where they were. And I said, when I heard him say that, thanks, Lord, thanks, Lord. In everything, we're to give thanks. Whether you use those words or make up something of your own, I want you to be a, a thankful person. There's a phrase in part of Philippians chapter 4 where it talks about praying. It says, in everything by prayer and supplication. And then it says, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. We ought to be thankful people, and our prayers ought to be filled with thankfulness. I'm thinking that most folks pray with a gimme list. Lord, give me this. Lord, do that. Lord, give me something else. And folks don't spend a lot of time thanking the Lord. I think that there's a, a short circuit in this. Something is jammed up because people are asking for more things before they've said thank you for the things that they've already received. God wants you to be a, a thankful person and to pray even your requests with 
Thanksgiving. The grandpa in me loves it when the grandkids say, thanks, grandpa, without mom having to poke them in the ribs and say, what do you say to that? And the little kid says, oh, thank you. And that's not as good as when you give something to one of your grandkids and they say, hey, grandpa, thanks. We ought to be thankful people. We ought to tell the Lord that we love him and why we love him. Have you ever tried praying without asking for anything? That's a good spiritual exercise, to pray and just thank the Lord. Thank him for all the things that you have. A home burned in our subdivision yesterday. I was away for the afternoon because Reese Ealing got married and I attended the wedding. And I thought, boy, Lord, thanks for your protection on my house. I understand that the fire affected the house next door. It's hard not to. Lord, thank you for this. Um, Denny had just mentioned Aaron and Janelle because they got to see them a little bit. I'm jealous because I love them and enjoy them. And I said, what do they think about the, the earthquake that hit uh, Morocco? Over 2,000 people dead, and now rescue teams are searching the rubble, trying to find those who might still be alive but are trapped in buildings that collapsed because of the earthquake. And Denny says, well, all the people that they know, and they weren't directly in Morocco but were in Maradesh uh, nearby, uh, are okay, but Christians are taking advantage of this and taking blankets and food and, and things into that area and giving that. It's a place where they can operate out of the thankfulness of their own hearts that their homes weren't destroyed and their families were not, were not killed. I'm thinking that it's a healthy thing for us now and again to pray and not ask for anything just thank the Lord over and over again for all the things that he has provided. Now, when you read this prayer, this piece of Colossians chapter 1, you find out what Paul is thankful for. In fact, in verse 13, he's thankful for his inheritance. He's thankful for being delivered from the power of darkness thankful for being inserted into the kingdom of God's Son, thankful in verse 14 for our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I'm amazed. I'm just amazed. What an interesting prayer. Now, I want you to come, if you will, please, to John chapter 17. Gospel of John chapter 17. If you have a red-letter Bible, John 17 is all in red. That's because the whole chapter was, is a record of the words of our Lord in his, what they call, high priestly prayer. When you are a priest, you approach God on behalf of people. And Jesus is praying on behalf 
of his people here in John chapter 17. He prayed this in the garden just prior to his arrest and his trials and his crucifixion. It's worth reading. I hope that you do when you have an opportunity later today. Would you read this chapter? It's just not that long and it's worth, worth reading. Here, Jesus speaks about seven things. I will have you just take note of them as we buzz through them quickly. His first request is in verse 1. It's that the Son of God would be glorified. He wasn't treated with his rightful glory, was he, when he was on earth? He was spit on and hated, tried more than once to kill him. Finally, they did. They succeeded. Many heard him preach and teach and walked away, shaking their heads, had no use for what he had to say. He wants to be back in the glory that he enjoyed in heaven. Colossians says that in everything he might have the preeminence. We're emphasizing that as we study Colossians. Is it possible to you that even in your death you might glorify God? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that, that death is the last thing you get to do in this life? So you want to do it well? Your kids and your grandkids are watching. You leave them an example of how a believer ends this life. Death is the final act of life. It's our last opportunity to bring him glory. Are you going to die well? Not necessarily as a hero. Quiet people die well, too. I think that, um, that our Lord, knowing how he was going to die and when he was going to die, and how painful his death would be, and how ugly his death would be, is bravely praying, looking beyond the death to the resurrection and the ascension and the restoration of him to the glory that he had with the Father. Jesus prays, first of all, that the Son of God would be glorified. Hmm. In verse 5, he wants restoration to his place of glory with the Father. Hmm. I want you to notice that <clears throat> it says in verse 5, Glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world was. And in verse 4, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Think carefully. Had he raised all the dead people on earth? That's not a trick question. That's a question question. Had he raised all the people that were dead on the earth? Nah, nah. And those he raised had to die again soon enough. 
Hmm. Jesus is ready to return to the Father. This is welcome home. This is mission accomplished. This is the attaboy. He had done all that the Father asked him to do. He hadn't healed all the sick, hadn't even begun to heal all the sick. He hadn't raised all the dead, but he had done everything that God wanted him to do. You will live your life out not having done all of the things you could have done. You're just one person. You can't do it all. And Jesus prayed, I've done what you wanted me to do. That included everything that was needed to provide redemption for each of us. That was done. Hmm. Have you got a bucket list? I had one once. I've junked it since. Foolish things that I thought I would like to do before this life was over. Stuff I was interested in. Hmm. I can do what God wants me to do. He will help me do what he wants me to do. I want to be able to pray like this. God, I didn't get everything done, but I tried to do what you wanted me to do. His third request is in verse 11 and verse 15. He wants safety from his own, for his own, from the wicked one. In fact, verse 11 says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Jesus prayed for the protection of those who would believe on him. That's you and me. In verse 15, I don't pray that you should take these out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, that you would know that I have more power than he has, and he can't get you. It's the security of the believer in Jesus, the security of the saved sinner, me, me. His fourth prayer is in verse 17, the sanctification of believers. It actually says, Sanctify them, make them holy. That's what sanctify is. Make them holy, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So if I'm ignoring his word, I'm not soaking myself in the truth that he wants me to know. He prayed that we would be sanctified. Sanctified is set apart. Some of you probably have Bibles where that's the wording in verse 17 set apart for his service. His fifth request is in verse 11 and in verses 20 and 21. In verse 20, which is a jolt, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's usens. That's usens. I wasn't there, but Jesus prayed for those who would believe on him 
and I'm included in that. I'm thrilled. Jesus prayed for all who bear his name. We are among those who have come to believe, believe through the words of those who have gone before us. Yeah, yeah. His sixth request is also in verse 20. He prayed for all mankind, for all who will believe. Jesus died for all mankind. He paid the price of sin for all mankind. He loves all mankind, loved the world, John 3.16. And in verse 24, you read that believers might be with him in glory, to behold his glory and share in his glory. That's a wonderful promise to me. I like that. In verse 24, it says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And the epistles teach us that he loved us before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that in the moment when you received Christ as your Savior, your future in heaven was assured, and your salvation that day was a forever transaction. It was an eternal transaction. We used to have a pamphlet that we gave away around here, and I haven't been able to find it, and they may be all gone. But it was 33 things that happened when you received Jesus as Savior. I had copies of that, and I can't find it anymore. But it was a really valuable little pamphlet that listed 33 things that happened the day when you believed in Christ as your Savior. I, I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a boy of seven. I was born in a Christian home. Mom and Dad loved each other, and they loved the Lord. And I was raised in church. I don't really actually remember a time when I didn't believe on the Lord, but I came to the place where I realized that my parents' salvation didn't count as my salvation, that I needed to make a decision to believe in Christ for myself. Mom, late afternoon, by the time he got home from school, was beginning to poke around and get things ready toward family supper. That was different in those days. Families actually ate together. Isn't that something strange? And uh, I often grabbed a stool and sat there in the kitchen and talked to mom about things. And I talked to her one day about the fact that I had realized that I I needed to make a decision to believe in Christ for myself. I needed to declare my own faith in the Lord. And we talked and talked and talked, and Dad came home from work, and she explained to him what was going on. And we went aside into their bedroom and knelt beside their bed. And there I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Um, I didn't realize all the implications of my salvation. 
I didn't understand everything that Christ had done for me. But an eternal transaction took place that day. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to know the Lord that way. Now, I want you, please, to come with me to an Old Testament scripture that contains a prayer and that has to do with walking worthy. I want you to come back to 2 Samuel, and you can find it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Sam. Second Sam seven, chapter seven. I love this prayer and I have prayed it often myself. Using David's words just for me, because they hit me that way. Here in Second Samuel seven, you find the record of the Davidic covenant. I don't think it's overly dramatic dramatic to say that from this moment on, from 2 Samuel on, through the whole Old Testament, through the whole Old New Testament, and on into eternity, everything has changed. Everything sits on the shoulders of this covenant that God is making with David. This is the covenant that points us one more step toward the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. David wants desperately to build God's temple in Jerusalem, but God will not allow him. I think that God is honored by David's desires, and he speaks to him. In return for David wanting to build God a house, God says, I'm going to build you a house. Now, the house that David wanted to build for the Lord was stone and timber and so forth. The house that God is going to build for David is a lineage, a record, a family line that leads in a certain direction. The family line, when God says, I'm going to build you a house, is not two-by-fours and concrete and shingles, windows, that kind of a house. Do you know enough English history <clears throat> to have heard and known the phrase, the house of Tudor or the house of Windsor? Those houses are family lines. They are lineages that lead toward a king. By the way, God has brought us into his lineage, his family, and we are leading toward a king. Old Testament Israel was looking for a king. We New Testament saints are looking for a king. We are looking for our king to return, Jesus. So, 
I want you to read several scriptures, or maybe I can get somebody. Would I, would I get somebody who would just read Psalm 89, verses 34 through 37? Anybody would be willing to do that? It's very dangerous, but the pay is good. Would you? Thank you. Anybody who would get Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 32? Go ahead. Anybody who would find Romans and read chapter 1, verses 1 and 2? Good, good, do it. I can't stay here too awful long, but... There's an unbreakable promise made by God here in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to read more of it in just a moment. Somebody give me Psalm 89, 34 to 37. Read it right out loud. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the, in the skies. Wow. I will not lie. I make a promise. I will not break it. I'm making this promise to David, the Davidic covenant. Somebody get me Luke chapter 1, verses 30, 30 to 32. Okay. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, there's a king coming, according to the Davidic covenant. And that king's going to come through the one that Mary gave birth to. Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. Where'd that go? Okay. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. Yeah. His son is the one that came through David and is about to be our Savior. Now, all of you, put your earlobe or a hymn book or your shoe in 2 Samuel 7 and come to the very end of the Scripture, Revelation 22. Revelation 22. If you have a red-letter Bible, you will see Revelation 22 in red. In other words, this is Jesus speaking. Revelation 22, verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Wild idea. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. He is the creator of David from whom David came, 
and he is the offspring of David. He is the root and the offspring. He is before David, he is after David. He is the bright and morning star, root and offspring. Now come back to 2 Samuel 7, put your shoe on. At the beginning of this chapter, you have God speaking, giving this Davidic covenant. And then his promise to David is in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come for your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's not just David's lineage. Come down to verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? I love those words. I have prayed those words. What God has done is beyond my wildest imagination. Who am I, Lord, that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight. You have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man? What more can David say to you? You, Lord God, know your servant for your works, words' sake and according to your own heart. You have made done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. Not I am great because I get to be this kingpin in your plan, but you are great. Nor is there any God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. Who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people? to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. You have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said, so let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. Let the house of your servant David be established before you. Verse 28, Now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. You have promised this goodness to your servant. Let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. O Lord God, have spoken it, with your blessing, let your house of your servant be blessed forever. In verses 18 and 19, you have spoken of your house for a great while to come. The Old Testament saints were looking for a Messiah, for God's King. They were looking for one to come. Those are the words from Scripture. We are looking for one to come. We already know that this person will be born of a woman that he will come through the line of Abraham, that it'll be through the tribe of Judah, that it'll be in the family line of David. Verse 21, for your word's sake, 
do this for your word's sake. Because you said it, I'm praying that you will do it. God didn't do all this for David because David had earned it in some way. And God didn't save you because you have earned it in some way. Hmm. He didn't save any of us because we were nice. We've been saved because of His grace. This idea that, that God did it all for His namesake is a part of David's phrasing in Psalm 23. You do this for your name's sake. Not for my name's sake, but for His name's sake. Therefore, verse 22, you are great. Verse 25, concerning His house, you've established it forever. Did you know that this has become David's salvation? He sees it that way. Stay right in 2 Samuel. Just come over to chapter 23. Note the title that's above chapter 23, a chapter heading, David's Last Words. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, the man raised up on high and anointed of God of Jacob, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 2, spoke to me. And when you come down to verse 5, although my house is not so with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and my desire. Will he not make it increase? Will God not do what he has promised to do? These are his words. This is my salvation because of your grace. I think that we ought to sing. Can we, can we do that? Susie, will you help us? Did you pick up one of those things with the words? Uh, Pastor Denny graciously included those words on the bottom of his notes from a while back when he did the second lesson in this series. So if you've got that, one way or the other, you got the words to this. I have a copy someplace. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Ready. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion, pure. Spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus seen in me. Are you going to sneaky do a key change on that? I could. Later. Later? Okay. When I first introduced this course, I told you it was written by Paul. That wasn't true. I'm sorry. It was written by Epaphras. It was written during his layover. Paul had written the book of Colossians 
in the jail, in the prison in Romans, in Rome, and he'd given it to Epaphras to take back to Colossae. Well, his flight took him from Rome to Ephesus, and then he had a two-hour layover, and during that layover, he wrote this song. But he didn't know that nowadays, all of our music is in the language of uh, Italian, so that we have Allegro and Andante and, and Fortissimo and Forte and, and so forth, Largo. Those are all Italian terms. And he wrote this chorus in Greek. Not only did he write it in Greek, he wrote the music for it in Greek. And so we sang it now in the key of C. But when we do it again, we'll be in delta flat. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Delta flat will be the key we'll go to. I hope you believe every word of that. <laughs> Serves you right. <laughs> Let me pray quick. Father, you love us, and I'm so grateful that you do. Thank you for recording in Scripture your own prayer, the prayer of Jesus. But thank you also for this prayer in Colossians that we would know you well and that we would be increased in the knowledge of your will. And thank you for David's prayer. Oh, Lord God, I would never have imagined how far you could have brought us. Thank you for doing so. Help us in our studies to honor you, I pray through the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks, people. Play it in Delta Flat. <laughs> <laughs> you sneaky thing. Just so you know. <laughs> oh, you can't trust anybody these days. I didn't get it so much later.